Join me in prayer. Father, we pray uh, for this morning and just pray for humility and um, your words. Thank you for the Sunday. Thank you for the opportunity to remember you come before the table. We love you and we give uh, this day to you. We give ourselves to you. Amen. That's right. I brought the, he- the heavy Bible this morning, right? So we need the big thing. So I have a confession to make. Um, like two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, someone uh, from this congrega- congregation confronted me, very angry, and said, George, I know it's you. I know it's you. So to preface all this, I have to tell you a little bit about me and the history of this. My family and I lived uh, in a colder place than Minnesota for about 10 years. So when we came back here, we just loved the snow. The big, white, fluffy stuff coming down, ice skating, tubing, all of it. We're outside, right? Chopping wood. We love to have fires inside. And so my brother in Christ came and said, George, I know it's you. Just confess it. I feel like I have to confess it to everybody. Yes, I was the one that was praying for snow all through March, right? (laughs) But because I love you guys so much... I've changed my prayer, and I've started praying for beautiful days like today, okay? So you're welcome, yeah? (laughs) It's going to be a beautiful day. Yeah, that was a long winter. That was crazy, even for me. We're in this series called Significant. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know the point of this series is that we are trying to look at those signs the nudgings of the Holy Spirit so that we can see God working every day and we can draw closer to Jesus and have his power flow out through us and bless the people around us. The signs. We're looking at John chapter 6 this morning. And what is fascinating about John chapter 6 is we start to see Jesus in a real clear way before the crowds exert his power and authority and kind of confront their beliefs. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the first 14 verses first. And if you have any background with the church, this is going to be really familiar to you, okay? This is one of the only miracles that appears in all four Gospels. and all four Gospels, it gives us a different vantage point. So it's cool. Let's begin in John 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So I'm going to tell you the end of the message first, where we're going, what the destination is. Because this is the key to the entire passage. See that phrase there? Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. This is what John Six is about because we see that Jesus is actually going to declare something. He's going to declare, I am. He's going to declare, I am the bread of life. This has everything to do with Passover. This has everything to do with communion this morning. There's some significant parallels here. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So just a little bit of context here. We're going to talk a little bit about Philip's faith. But I want to tell you that 200 denarii is a lot of money. That's a rich person's annual salary. And so what's Philip's response? 
when Jesus says, what are we going to do? Philip, you're from around here. Where are we going to get some food? What is Philip's response? What does his face say? Even if a rich person gave us all his salary or her salary, not there wouldn't be enough for a single bite. That tells us two things. That tells us a little bit of the dead end for Philip right away, but also tells us about the immensity of the crowd. There's a lot of people here. An annual salary wouldn't cover a meal for everybody. A lot, a lot of people. But then we get to verse 8, which is one of my favorites because verse 8 makes me smile. And I kind of think verse 8, John wrote this just for me. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I like this verse a lot because there's a little bit of contrast between Philip and Andrew. But then also this is me a whole lot of days. You look up at there, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, right? He goes out and he gets some kid's lunch and he comes back, right? Why does he do that? Because he believes, he has faith, you know? But then what happens? There's a comma, a clause, but then he doubts, right? But what good is this going to do? It's like he goes out, gets his kid's lunch, said, Jesus, look, I found this, but... I don't really think it's going to work. So he has faith for like a second. But my question for you is how much faith does it take for the power of Christ to flow through you and bless somebody else? How much faith does it take for us to step out into the unknown for the power and authority of Jesus to show up? That much faith. We can doubt in the same sentence. My faith oftentimes is second to second. I show up and say, hey, Jesus, this is what I got. It's probably not going to work, but um, yeah, Jesus works in that. Be encouraged. It's cool. So continuing on. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here that has five barley loaves, two fish. What are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those that were seated. So the fish, as much as they wanted. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done... They said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What's happening here? Why is it happening here? What's going on? I think this is one of the most profound, powerful passages, John 6, in the New Testament, Jesus' teaching. We're going to see Just what it means that Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. As we come to the table, that's where I want our focus. We are coming to the bread of light, bread of life. Let's go to verse two. Large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. So if we consider, I want to point out, if we consider all the people that are involved in the sign that's about to take place, It counts just the men, 5,000 men. Most commentaries would put that number closer to 12,000, including women and children. So we have this huge crowd, this massive crowd that they're going to feed. And we find out 
that they are there by and large, not because they have a committed desire to actually walk with Christ because we know what's coming up, right? We know that his ministry ends in the cross. They don't have this desire, but they're there to see what's happening. They're drawn because of the signs. They see the power there. They're intrigued. And a lot of them are just kind of on the outskirts, right? They think Jesus is cool. They see the power. They've heard his teaching. But we find out in this passage that they're just there as observers. Some of them are skeptics. And when the cost comes, when Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me, we'll find that a lot of them are out. I think to the key, the, the key to this passage is not the bread and fish. It is the Passover. And for you and me, Passover doesn't mean a whole lot. But for a first century Palestinian Jew, it means everything. It's their national identity. It's who they are to their core. And you have to realize that we're in the middle of something right here. Okay? Jesus is he's bringing it full circle. We are in the middle of something. We're in the middle of a story. A story that began back in Genesis. Promise to Abraham that I'm going to make you a great nation and out of you... All nations will be blessed. The promise of the Messiah. Jesus is directly talking to their national identity, to who they are as a Jewish nation. And he's saying, particularly in this context, Passover. I am the fulfillment of that. It's communion. It's Lenten season. It's Good Friday. It's Easter. Let's look at Passover and why it's significant. This right here, the feeding of the 5,000, it's Passover time. This is one of the three Passovers. The first one, it was spent when Jesus taught this. I am the living temple that will be torn down, broken, destroyed, and will rise again so the Spirit of God may dwell in you. So that's what he does there. You no longer have to go to a location to worship. There won't be a barrier there. If you have a relationship with me, you are in for the Father And you don't have to have this context, this place to worship, because worship will just pour out of your soul. That's what Jesus does. And then the last one, there are only three. The last one is when they crucified Jesus. Good Friday. Let's look at verse 25, because there's a lot of connections here. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi... When did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Okay? We have to go back to Exodus. Exodus is a book in the Old Testament. And what's happening in Exodus are God's people are in slavery. There's this tyrant called the Pharaoh that is murdering God's people, oppressing God's people, abusing God's people. And so God, through his servant Moses, comes down with plagues, frees Israel with a mighty hand, and brings them out of the waters of the Red Sea. The last plague was Passover. And the Jewish nation was instructed to take the blood of the spring lamb and put it on the doorposts. And that signified, actually, God's judgment passing over when the spirit came through when his spirit came through the city so they would judgment was in his hand we're in the middle of a story and this is what is happening in john remember earlier in john when jesus is heralded as the lamb of god this is why 
take the sins of the world. This is why. What does it mean to the Israelites at this point? How does that resonate with them? This is the stuff that Jesus is telling them. It gets to their very identity. It gets to the thing that defines them most. And Jesus is saying, the lamb that makes the judgment pass over you, it's mine. Is that me? I don't think, I'm just standing here, right? Should I switch? I can go handheld. All right. Talk about transitions, right? I think I'm going to have to start all over. So, <laughs> I have a confession to make. All right. You, you remember where we're at, right? Where are we? Passover. Thank you. If somebody didn't say Passover, I was going to be really disappointed. So we're in the middle of the story. We're talking about Passover, and Jesus is making these bold, bold statements about Passover, about being the lamb. It's getting at their very identity, the thing that defines them most. And Jesus is saying, you know that lamb? That lamb that makes judgment pass over you? It's mine. Think about what he's saying. Life and judgment are mine. You know, there's a series of these decorative I am statements in John. And I am is what Israel would have known for God. Jesus is coming and he's in their face and saying, I am. Life and judgment, I am. Because the Father has given it to me. This is what we see in Exodus. This is God's story. There's another connection here because after they're delivered, right? They're delivered from Egypt and they go out into the wilderness for 40 years. And in chapter 15 in the book of Exodus, they sing this song called the Song of Moses. And they're saying, God is our deliverer. He is mighty. He is strong. He prevailed over Pharaoh and his chariots. But then we see in chapter 16 of Exodus... They sing about how God has left them, right? So their faith lasts a chapter. Yeah? They're really not very grateful for what God has done because they're out in the wilderness and they don't have any food. But what happens is God shows up. He provides. He sends bread from heaven called manna. And he sends enough bread, manna, every day, just enough for the day. And on the sixth day, He sends enough for two days so that they can rest on the seventh day, which is called Sabbath. And Jesus is addressing this when he says, I am the bread of life. This is Passover. Because, where do I want to go? I want to go to this. This is why it's significant. So we go to the prophets, right? So we're going to fast forward. Exodus. Fast forward a couple thousand years. And you have a lot of the prophets talking about the Messiah, talking about the Christ to come and what's going to come with him. Bread from heaven. Fast forward another couple hundred years. And what did this massive crowd of 12,000 people just see Jesus do? It's powerful. 
Jesus comes and says, you know what? I'm the fulfillment. But not how you're thinking. They were thinking the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one was going to come and rescue them from the oppressors. But that's not what Jesus says. He knows they're entering into him in this conversation. We saw that they want to make him king. So he withdraws. They're not coming saying, you know what? You provided bread so that we now understand that you are God incarnate, that you've come to save our sins. Why do they come? To get more bread. Jesus addresses this. Let's look at 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. This is where the conflict begins. This is where Jesus starts to expose things about their expectations, about their motivations, about their belief. They're coming thinking, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if this guy could feed us 40 years? That would be awesome. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm not here to give you bread. I'm here to be your bread. We're never going to get what we want from Jesus if we're just wanting things from Jesus. Jesus is the thing. And that's what he says what do we want from Jesus this morning? You know, in the church, we talk a lot about love. And let me stress this. God meets you where you're at. If you let Jesus love you and you love him, you will start to look like him. But you don't get that by circumventing a relationship with him. And if you have a relationship with him, he is going to ask of you. Don't come this morning wanting things from him. Just want him. That's it. Jesus says, I didn't come to make your life better. I didn't come to make your life this fantastic whatever we want. I've come to be your life. In verse 35, this is where everything really falls apart. Jesus said to them, I'm in the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the rest of the passage is just Jesus unpacking that statement. He'll go on from there to say, in order to live, you may eat my foot, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But the rest of this is unpacking that statement, I am the bread of life. And what happens is we find that this is a turning point for the crowd. They're starting to get exactly what Jesus is saying now. They see that he's saying, you know what? This sign, it's not about the sign. It's not about the miracle. It's about me. What does the sign point to? So they reject his definition of life. Why? Verse 66. This is what it says, part of it. This is a hard teaching. And after this, many of the disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. Why? There's a response. We're coming to communion this morning in the context of Passover, in the context of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, and he's asking for a response. He's asking for all of you. They were observers. They hadn't really entered into relationship with him. They were there to see what they could get from him. 
So I think sometimes in the church we play this subtract and add game with Jesus. First we subtract. We keep whatever form, whatever form of idolatry we have. We keep it from Jesus because we know better than him. I've never met anybody that said, you know what, I think I'm smarter than Jesus. But I met a lot of people, including myself, that act like it sometimes. We don't want to give Jesus every part of our lives, right? Because we don't trust. We like control. We want to have control over that. And why wouldn't we? We know best how to manage our careers. We know best how to manage our families. We know best how to manage any relationship. And so we show up on Sunday and we give that day to him. But then the rest of the days we subtract. We keep for ourselves. I know. Giving up control is scary. We pray for clarity. God, show me. Let me have a clear path. We pray for clarity when instead we should be praying for trust. I think the second thing we do is we add. You know, the crowd wanted Jesus to conform to their own image, their own expectations. Remember this. This crowd was hanging around Jesus. This crowd had just heard him teach. This crowd had heard him preach. This crowd was impressed by him. This crowd was affected by him. This crowd was impassioned by him. And what happens? This is a warning to us. What happens? Jesus is right there. And they miss him completely. We must not miss. He's the bread of life. Maybe you've been in this building for a long time. But I'm telling you, Jesus is here this morning. I'm the bread of life. So turn whatever it is you're finding else in life, whatever else life you have. I know that didn't sound right at all, but you know what I spake, right? Whatever else you're putting your faith in for life, turn from that and give that to Jesus. We miss him. We miss relationship with him. I miss him. We did the subtract. Sometimes I try to add, right? I try to add to Jesus. And this doesn't work either. How can you add to the greatness of God, to the all power of Jesus? But sometimes I try to do it with my behavior, right? I do. It doesn't matter how awesome I am. It just doesn't work. I can't add to the greatness of God. I try to do it with my behaviors, like serving. Sometimes I give myself a pat on the back. Good job, George. Sometimes I do it with my gifts, the money that I give. All that is not adding to the greatness of God. That's just called stewardship. That's a different message. Stewardship is important, but we're not adding to the greatness of God. We're just being obedient. So those are two ways that I can miss Jesus standing right next to me. And it's all an inward focus. It's all a self-centered focus. I want to tell you this morning that if you are in the crowd as an observer or even as skeptic, I want to tell you that the Bible is not disappointed in you. I'm not. You're in fact some of my favorite people because I love that you come and you wrestle and you're trying to figure out, you're trying to see what is there. And I want to tell you that there's an invitation for you this morning. Come as you are right now. Your identity is secure in him. Say yes to him. And maybe there are some of you here that have the faith like Andrew. Not every day, but some days where you say, okay, Jesus, I got this, but I really don't think it's going to work. 
I'm telling you that everyone here can be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and given ministries that will blow your mind. I think we have a misconception of what ministry really is, right? We leave that to the professionals. That's not our call. Our call is to be a priesthood, body of believers that move out. And ministers, pastors, whatever you want to call us, our job is to equip and facilitate the church into ministry. God has a ministry for you, something beautiful that you can't even imagine. And even if you have the tiniest bit of faith or you have doubt, it's just one step forward and we'll meet you there. So if you have doubts this morning, if you have anxieties, don't bury it. If you're wrestling, don't bury it. That's okay. Don't buy into the lie from hell that believers don't wrestle, that believers don't doubt. Because I've read the Bible. I've seen who God works through. I've seen how he works. And he only works through broken people. It's okay. But if you have doubts and if you're wrestling and if you're in anxiety, the other thing that I've seen from the Bible is don't do it in isolation. You got to tell somebody we're a community, we're a church. The times that I've met Jesus have been the times when I've been carried, when I haven't been able to walk myself, when my friends, this family, this church has shown up and rejoiced with me. I see Jesus in you all. Or the reverse, when I've been able to serve or be present in your times of rejoicing or mourning. That's what the church is all about. So if your doubts, if you're wrestling, if you're seizing of anxiety, I just want to tell you that God knows. We're humans. It's part of being humans. But Jesus says this morning, just come as you are. I am what you're looking for. I'm all you need. I'm enough for you. Then he goes to the cross, the bread of life, and is broken for us. He dies in our place, bears our penalty that was ours to bear, defeats death so that in our hunger we find him in his cup, we find forgiveness, we find mercy, we find love. That's what we remember in communion. Inasmuch as the manna from heaven came down and fed the fathers, our fathers in the wilderness, Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven. He's enough for you and me every day. I want to finish up with verse 66 because there's two conversations happening here. There's one from the crowd and then the other group is the 12. The 12 don't respond like the crowd did. So back to verse 66. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So there are two responses. To whom shall we go? That's what Peter would say. That's what we say as we approach communion. I'm going to ask the servers for communion to come down, uh, the band to come back up, and we're going to pray. Prepare our hearts for communion, for the elements. Jesus, we are here this morning with hearts that want you and ask, where will we go? We have your words in the gospel We have your truth. We have seen and heard you heralded as the Lamb of God, the Holy One of God. Jesus, where will we go? Who has mercy like you? 
We've seen your mercy on so many. The woman on the well, who has compassion like you? We've seen your compassion for the children. Jesus, who has courage like you? We saw you stand in the face of your oppressors at your trial. Who has faith like you? We were with you before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you prayed, not my will, but yours. Who has grace like you? You have filled me with love, not just for you, but for others. You have given me so much. You have forgiven me. Who has a promise like you? You overcame the grave. And the cross. Crown of thorns, nailed and died. But you didn't stay there. You forgave while still on the cross. And then you had victory when you rose again. And your promise is that you are coming back. That we will be restored, that the lost will be restored and renewed. You say, I am coming. And we say, come Lord Jesus, come. You are the bread of life. We confess that now. We want you to be our lives. We don't want to compartmentalize. We don't want to hold anything back. So help us. We love you. And we confess that you are the Holy One of God, the bread of life. Amen.